Welcome to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book, with Susie Chase. She's just a home cook in New York City, sitting at her dining room table, talking to cookbook authors. Hi, I'm Hisham Asad, and I just produced a book called Beirut, the Cookbook. Before diving into this book, I'd like to thank my new sponsor, Bloomist. Bloomist creates and curates simple, sustainable products that inspire you to design a calm, natural refuge at home. I'm excited to announce they've just introduced a new tabletop and kitchen collection that's truly stunning. Surround yourself with beautiful elements of nature when you're cooking, dining, and entertaining, and make nature home. Visit Bloomist.com and use the code COOKERY20 to get 20% off your first purchase or click the link in the show notes. Now on with the show. This is the story of a city with energy and diversity of multiple cultures and traditions with ever popular street food, a thriving restaurant and cafe scene and traditional family favorites handed down through generations. My first question I'm so curious about was the spelling on the cover of the cookbook. It's B-A-Y-R-U-T on the cover, but inside you spell it B-E-I-R-U-T. So the official spelling in English is B-E-I-R-U-T, while the French spelling, uh, it's B-E-Y-R-O-U-T-H. Uh, but we wanted to go with uh, how, what it sounds like or wh- how, however you want uh, or however you say it or pronounce it. So it's Beirut, B-A-Y-R-U-T, which is more closer than the other spellings. You organized this cookbook just how I like to think about cooking. Breakfast and brunch, and then street food, salads and sides, main Sunday feast, desserts, drinks, and basics. Can you talk a little bit about how the book is organized? Well, we wanted to have something from everything. Uh, It's as if you uh, are in Beirut and you're trying stuff out. You're taking a day trip or a walking tour in the streets, and you will get a bit of everything. Uh, What usually people miss out on is the partially the mains and the Sunday feasts where people cook stews and homemade food that usually is not found in restaurants. But the rest is something that you would get almost anywhere in Beirut. Um, and that's how we like to divide it into what meal should you have or what meal can you have at home that is coming from the heart of Beirut. What are a couple of dishes that you can only find in homes? You will always find stews and at home and not in restaurants uh, because it's not something uh, that is common in the meze platters or the meze spread. There's one recipe um, in the book. It's called Reshta Behadas. It's a lentil stew with, uh, with homemade noodles. Uh, this is more of a homey winter um, kind of out of Beirut mountain dish. Uh, and it's not very common because it represents more like a poor people's food, um, and it's a very delicious and rich and nutrient dish. But it kind of like has the humble connotation, so it's not always present on menus. Would you say that lentils are things that you really won't find in restaurants often, but they're cooked more at home? 
Yes. Um, they're being introduced a little bit when people are trying to uh, explore different uh, ingredients and trying to, to do local uh, variations of uh, of salads. Maybe I would use lentils in a salad and I would serve that in a, in a restaurant. So you want to archive some of these recipes in the cookbook before they're forgotten. Can you talk a little bit about that? So one of the dishes that I really wanted to archive while researching uh, on recipes that are specific to Beirut, one of them was the mfatta. Mfatta is, is like a fudge pudding uh, that is made with rice that is cooked to uh, <laughs> until it's, it's uh, gelatinous or gummy. Uh, and it's cooked with sugar, tahini, and turmeric, so it turns yellow. And once it's uh, cooked too much, uh, the oil from the tahini spills out and it kind of creates this gummy texture. The porridge is cooked for around an hour and a half or two hours, so it's labor-intensive. And now people are cooking it less at homes and getting it from uh, pastry shops or sweet shops that still make it in like a big, big uh, giant pot. Uh, so this is one of the things that is fading out. And the ritual that is uh, that was accompanying this dish is, I don't think anyone is practicing it anymore. And I wrote about it in the intro of the recipe. People used to go and have a picnic at the beach, uh, the Ramlil Waida beach, which is, which is a now the only uh, sandy beach that's available in Beirut, and it's polluted. Uh, so they used to go and prepare all the food and snacks that they can take uh, that wouldn't spoil on, on, a, on a hot day. And they would go to the beach, have their picnic, and the dessert would be mfatta. And it used to be made on, uh, and it used to be practiced on uh, jobs. Uh, they, there's jobs Wednesday, it's something uh, close to Ramadan, the prophet job. Uh, and because he was tested, uh, his patient, patience was tested, and the food or the recipe takes a lot of patience to, uh, to accomplish with two hours or an hour and a half of stirring. Even though I know I wouldn't make it regularly, but I want this recipe to be preserved and to be kept uh, and to be talked about later on. So I feel like Lebanon hasn't been able to catch a break for years. In the past few years, you've had to deal with an economic crisis, fuel, electricity, and currency shortages, the revolution, the pandemic, and the horrifying explosion in the port of Beirut. You wrote in the cookbook that the explosion crushed whatever was left of people's spirits. Did cooking help you cope? Cooking was my refuge. I got the deal to work on the book and I decided to uh, put myself in the kitchen just to cope with things. And then things started to unfold and things started to get worse. But being in the kitchen helped me zone out, take some time off and be on my own. It was hard though to write about all of this. During the day, I would be in the places that were affected. I would be with people who were affected. And by night, I have to go back and produce a book to talk about the beauty of Beirut. And uh, this is why you get paragraphs of uh, the reality of what we are going through so that it doesn't feel disconnected from the time the book was produced. I worked on it during 2020 and 2021, and we are still in a a very tight place in terms of uh, the economic crisis and the justice due to uh, after the uh, port explosion. And every day is still a challenge. Although there were days that I couldn't uh, enjoy cooking, I would just 
cook something to eat and uh, to, to stay alive. I've been working on myself since the beginning of the year to try and enjoy cooking as much as possible. And in, the, um, in September and August, I was in Spain and France trying to promote the book and I cooked in places and restaurants uh, over there. And I remembered how much I enjoy being in the kitchen, uh, being zoned out of all of the reality outside and just being immersed in food and making food and serving that to people. And I remember the joy behind that again. In the book, you talk about how the food has evolved to represent each era. How has the pandemic and economic crisis shifted the way people consume foods? Um, the pandemic didn't really affect because it came uh, after the crisis has started happening. And with the devaluation of the currency, uh, a lot of people who are paid in local currency uh, and not foreign uh, foreign one had a problem with buying ingredients that kept getting more expensive. People started going back to uh, growing foods at home as much as possible uh, to get fresh vegetables. Things are getting out of, out of hand. But it's all because of the economic crisis, a lot of things became unaffordable to a huge chunk of the population. Meat and chicken uh, were off the menus. Uh, people resorted to vegetables, cooking the most out of, uh, of things to avoid waste. Uh, pulses and grains are what we resorted to. Rice, pastas, things that were still uh, supported by the government or subsidized. So this is changing how we perceive food, how we deal with food. We became vegetarians and it's not something to celebrate, but it's an outcome of a crisis. I read that locally made spirits and wines are on the rise too. Yes. Uh, this is something that I see as a, as a silver lining. A lot of local production may, uh, became more popular in terms of spirits. We already have a great selection of wine and varieties of wine, but we're having uh, whiskey, uh, gins, vodkas, uh, and uh, other spirits. A lot of snacks have been produced in the country to replace whatever was not imported because it became really super expensive. So we have the chips, the snacks, the biscuits, and some of them are really uh, getting a high quality uh, production. In Beirut, the feast you prepare for breakfast isn't just one plate of a certain food, but rather an assortment of dishes. What is your go-to breakfast? For me, when I'm on my own, uh, obviously I would not put this huge spread, uh, but I would have a piece of bread with labneh. Uh, some za'atar and olive oil. Maybe I would just have uh, a piece of toast or sourdough bread with hummus. This is not Lebanese, but I'm using what uh, I love using the local ingredients with things that are not conventional. Or just a, a simple fried egg with uh, summa and allspice. In the cookbook, you wrote you're a labneaholic. Me too. I cannot get enough of it. So over the weekend, I made your recipe for labne and veggie dip on page 30. Can you describe this recipe? So you wouldn't really find this uh, recipe in restaurants or in a lot of restaurants. It's called Beiruti Labne or Labne Beiruti uh, because usually the Labne serving restaurants is just the plain one with maybe a little bit of garlic and dried mint and olive oil. I love making my own Labne. You make it a little bit thicker if you like, if you're making it from scratch and it makes it hold the vegetables much firmer or firmly. It's, if it's thicker, it's much nicer to, to scoop out and uh, thicker lebne. And if it has a little bit of tang in it, it makes the whole difference. If you want to determine how authentic the recipes in a Lebanese cookbook are, the first thing you look at is the recipe for tabbouleh. What yes. are you looking for? 
So I wrote in the in the description or the intro of the recipe that this is my quality control. Knowing that tabbouleh has been there since I don't know when, for centuries probably, it has evolved. And the way they made tabbouleh back then, it was a lot of bulgar wheat and a little bit of parsley and tomatoes, and it was served as a main dish. But nowadays, the tabbouleh that we have here is a lot of parsley, a little bit of tomatoes, and they replace it with quinoa sometimes, which is a contemporary take on the recipe. But I wouldn't call the quinoa tabbouleh the authentic recipe. In the cooking notes you wrote, I have deliberately broken down the spice mixes in each recipe into individual spices. Can you talk a little bit about that? If you go through some, some of the recipes, you would find that there's a long list of spices and we need just little pinches of, uh, of everything. Um, when I was uh, preparing the recipes, this is how we go at home. We don't have the uh, ready mix uh, spice mixes. There is the Lebanese seven spices, or you would find that in the UK or the US uh, labeled as baharat. To get what we cook at home, I decided to break it down into the individual spices. You don't really need to worry that much, and you can use seven spices or the, the baharat instead. But because I didn't, uh, I haven't tried it myself, I went into the specifics. So would you mind reading the first part of the acknowledgments? To Beirut, the city that has given me incredible memories and experiences, and enough heartaches and traumas to last a lifetime. Writing a cookbook in the middle of both global and local storms was tiring. Despite it all, I am proud to have finally produced this book so we can celebrate the city through food. It's always a heartache just to remember that and yeah. living here every t- uh, ev- with everything that is happening and uh, with everything that is discouraging us from going further, it makes it hard to uh, sustain a day-to-day life. And nowadays, a lot of friends have been leaving the country to find opportunities elsewhere where they can grow and live a more stable life. Uh, staying here at the moment makes it really harder to cope with everything. This cookbook, though, is, as you called it, a celebration of Beiruti food and culture. And I think that that gives us hope that there's going to be a brighter day. Yes. And in one part, I I wrote about how, despite it all, and I don't want to be romanticizing our struggles, but despite it all, we always find a way to grow. Just like the fig tree that grows out of the harshest environments, we will find a place to put our roots back and grow tall. The last part of the acknowledgments she wrote, documenting these recipes is what I intend to do in case we forget that we used to put pine nuts in our kibbe stuffing. <laughs> pine nuts have been one of the things that people are not able to buy anymore. Uh, they've become so expensive that people are just omitting them. At first, we started replacing them with almonds that are cut into the shape of pine nuts, and then nuts were out of the scene completely. So for the young generation that is just exploring food and going out and seeing that the food is presented in a certain way, might not know that at a certain time, this is what the recipes looked like. Now to my segment called Dream Dinner Party, where I ask you who you most want to invite to your dream dinner party and why. And for this segment, it can only be one person. Why does it have to be just one? I don't have enough time to go through like 15 people. (laughs) (laughs) Because what I like to think in my head that this is the personality I give off. It's something between Jamie Oliver and Angela Lawson. 
I would go with Nigella. <laughs> and I would too. Why? I love the way she she presents herself. She uh, she's not afraid to deal with ingredients with all of her senses. With uh, she, the way she tastes food on on video, or the way she's she goes elbow deep in uh, in the recipe that she's making, and she just looks gorgeous at the same time. <laughs> I love those bits when she at the end of her one of her shows where she sneaks into the kitchen or the fridge and just yes. eats something exactly. I love those. <laughs> <laughs> I do too. I had her on my podcast a few months ago with her latest cookbook and it was hard for me to keep composure because I just want to say I love you. I love you so much. (laughs) Yeah, that's how I would be if I had that dream dinner party with her. (laughs) (laughs) Where can we find you on the web and social media? I am everywhere. Uh, you can find my name, Hisham Asad. Just Google me. Uh, I'm uh, Hisham underscore AD on Instagram, on TikTok. Uh, you can find my website called CookN5M2. It's also mentioned in the book, uh, where you can also find links to find me elsewhere. And you can shoot me a message at any time uh, asking about anything related to the book. I would be happy uh, just to have a chat and talk about it. To purchase Beirut the Cookbook and support the podcast, head on over to cookerybythebook.com. And thank you so much, Hisham, for coming on Cookery by the Book podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Follow Cookery by the Book on Instagram. And thanks for listening to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book.